story now. I walked in here Sunday, and Brother Mark, he, he saw me way over here, and he said, I need to talk to you. Don't leave. I thought I was in trouble. But uh, I didn't leave, and he told me, he asked me if I wanted to fill in. So uh, tonight, of course, you can probably see what the topic is, but it's going to be about the separation of, of church and state, and, and there's some history stuff in there that he, he said I could go over. And for those of you that don't know, I'm a history teacher. And I ain't taught nobody in over a month. So I'm excited. So he said, would you be willing to teach? I said, I'll teach. I'll give a quiz, a test, homework. I hadn't done any of that in a long time. So I hope you guys are ready. And then I saw the time and I saw that, you know, we got like 45 minutes. So we got a lot of stuff to do, but uh, it's good. And yeah, this water here, this is funny. When I filled in one time, and it's when Braylon was real little. And he, he said, Dad... Uh, when, when you get up there, will you drink out of that bottle of water? And I said, well, I guess. So I drank out of that bottle of water. He was still little. He was back in the, uh, I don't know, his classroom or whatever. So you t if you see Braylon, he brought me this tonight. You tell him I drank out of that bottle of water. But it's good to be here. I'm always in there with the teenagers normally on Wednesday night. Uh, so it's good to be in here with you guys. And uh, I guess it's a good thing I didn't have more time to get ready. I'd have had a ton of stuff. So Brother Mark and I talked a little bit, but really going to talk about um, biblical separation and, and, and how we view um, the government's role in, in church and our religion. And like he said, I believe this is the last lesson. And uh, so Brother Mark, let me go over this with you a little bit. But hey, I'm a history teacher. Let's get some history. What do you say? Tammy's up for it. She's like, yeah, let's do it. She looks, she got a pen. She's going to write something down. But um, I thought it'd be really good to give you guys a little bit of background before we looked at, at some of our verses. But um, by about 1200, that was a long time. Dad, that's before you was born, wasn't it? About, about 1200, uh, about 800 years ago, you know, the Catholic Church had really become a very powerful entity, um, all throughout Europe especially. And uh, basically, they were in control of all the countries of Europe, not just the church, but of the governments and the political institution as well. And, um, you know, they controlled in some countries up to half the land. Uh, of course, they had some beautiful churches that were worth a lot of money. They had amassed all kinds of gold and jewels. They had like huge, you know, fortunes there and they even had their own army. I think about that. You know, a church had its own army with knights and all, all that kind of stuff. And they had become very powerful. And uh, it, it wasn't, I'm not saying that they didn't try to reach people with the gospel, but they had gotten into a lot of other things besides just trying to reach people with the gospel. Uh, they were in control of who would lead countries and who would be in control of this and, and how this decision was made and all these things. And eventually, about 1200, uh, they basically said everybody in Europe has to worship exactly how the Pope says. And you have to believe how the Pope believes. And you said, well, I know there's some sneaky. Chad, you know, he's pretty sneaky. I bet he thought, you know what? I'll, I'll just sneak around. I'll do it my way. But they had this thing called the Inquisition. Well, they actually had thousands of people that would go out. And they actually had trials for over hundreds of thousands of people were brought up on trials of worshiping differently than the people in charge said you were allowed to worship. And over 30,000 people were actually executed for not worshiping 
the way the people in charge said you should. Now, um, and really something interesting happened. A lot of people that were executed just happened to be enemies of the rulers. It's kind of funny how that works sometimes. And so, like I told you, it became a very political institution and, and, and it had to do a lot with governments as well. But in 1517, many of you have heard of Martin Luther. And in response to a lot of these things that were going on and a lot of these things people thought was out of control, uh, he put 95 things on a church door that he said he thought maybe the church had, had gotten wrong, the Catholic church had gotten wrong and they were doing wrong. And, and some of these things were like the Inquisition and, and actually uh, you could pay to have your sins forgiven. Those were called indulgences. And if you didn't have any money to pay, then your sins wouldn't be forgiven. So there was a lot of things going on and, and Martin Luther... Uh, brought this up, and really what happened in the next 30 years, about half of Europe, uh, the countries in Europe, uh, kind of left the Catholic Church, and lots of different denominations and things came about. And, of course, this was a chance, I guess a lot of people thought, to kind of get the kind of religious uh, tone in their country that they really wanted, get back to the original mission of the gospel. But let's, let's look at just Europe. Boy, we'd be here all day if we had to look at all those European countries, and half of them I can't pronounce. So let's just look at England for a second. So uh, you guys probably heard of Henry VIII, right? A song about him or something? Yeah, you knew that one, right? But Henry VIII decided that uh, he was going to remove the Catholic Church from England, and they would create a new church, and it was called the Church of England, sometimes called the Anglican Church. And a lot of people thought, you know, this is a chance to really get, really get moving in the right direction again and get out of these politics and selling things and having armies and money and all this. But it wasn't very long until uh, Henry VIII set himself up as the head of the church. And he took over all that property the Catholic Church had and he gave it to all of his friends. And he gave it to the dukes and the earls to make them loyal. And, and all that stuff started happening over again. It's very interesting. Um, and so a lot of people thought, you know, there was our chance to, to really get a new start. But it, it really basically turned into the same problems they had had hundreds of years before. Uh, I found a few interesting things. Uh, eventually, the government printed Bibles. And they gave Bibles out to all the people and said, you're only allowed to read this one, the one that the government gives you. And then it gets better. Then they said, you're not allowed to read the Bible unless you're a noble, unless you're wealthy. So poor people weren't allowed to read the Bibles. And then they came out with prayer books. The government printed prayer books and said you're only allowed to pray prayers that are in the government prayer book. And then it got a little bit better. Then they gave all the preachers sermon books and said you're only allowed to preach sermons that are from the government-sanctioned sermon book. And then they came out with a scripture reading book that had scriptures and you were only supposed to read the scriptures for that day that the government said you were supposed to read. And so what happened was, again, you just got a lot of people used uh, this organization to, instead of thinking about spreading the gospel, but how do we take control? And, you know, how do we keep control? And how do we use it as a political organization? And all that, uh, many of you guys have heard of the Puritans and the Pilgrims. And they were, they were coming around during all this time, and, of course, they wanted a, a church that, you know, was there about the gospel, and, and they saw this happening, 
And they said, we're just going to leave. We're just going to leave England. We thought we had a chance to, to get something better. It's turned into what we had just with a different name. And so they decided to come to America. They went a few other places first, by the way. But eventually they decided to come to America. And uh, the funny thing is, it wasn't long before they were doing the same thing. So uh, the leaders actually said they could determine who was saved and who wasn't. And it was always the wealthy people that they said were saved. They said because obviously God was smiling on them because look how great their life was, you know. Um, anybody who disagreed would either be banished or they'd be put in prison or killed. Um, they actually would question everybody in the society once a year to see if uh, you were teaching your kids the right way and all these type of things. And, and so it's just kind of funny that an institution is supposed to be here to tell people about Christ. When it gets into like a political or a government thing, it always turns into about power and control. And you think about that. We had this going on in Europe with the Middle Ages, you know, in the Catholic Church, and they tried to fix it with the Church of England. They get in the same thing, and, then, and it even happens with the pilgrims and the Puritans here. And, and one of the people that the pilgrims banished was Roger Williams. And Roger Williams was an advocate of what he called soul liberty, that you would answer to God for your choice you make with what he had done with his son. And, of course, they didn't like that because they thought you had to come to them. The leaders of the church said, you have to come to us. And uh, they told him if he didn't move, they would kill him. So he actually moved out of Massachusetts, went to New Hampshire, and that was and actually the first Baptist church in America was started there in New Hampshire with Roger Williams. And so a little bit of background here about some of the things that were going on. And one of the things he said was he looked at the Ten Commandments and he said, you know, if you think about the Ten Commandments, the first Ten Commandments really have to do with a person's relationship with God. The second of the five, you know, the second half, the five commandments there, deal with people's relationship with each other. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. And he said the government doesn't have any business in the first five because that's between you and God. And only in these other five should government even worry. If you kill someone else, then maybe government should get involved to protect people. But he began to, to say things like this, and it really did impact uh, a lot of the founding fathers in America, a lot of the thinking they put in. And really, if you begin to think about it, the founding fathers and, and the government they set up from, uh, for us, which by the way, they were so smart and they had so much wisdom. I know sometimes our founders these days have a lot of bad things said about them, but their intelligence and their, their ability to see the future was amazing. And what they said was, it seems like when governments happen, they try to centralize that power so they can control people. And the only way to keep that from happening is to give as much control to the individual as possible. They said that the power of the government derives from the individual, not the other way around. And also, that's a lot of the way they thought with church. If you get that centralized power where one person's making all these decisions for everybody in the whole country... Time after time after time, it turned into power and control instead of a relationship with God. So our founders really kind of put these things um, in some of our founding documents in this country. And we're going to look at some of these things. We're going to look at some Bible scriptures about how we're supposed to behave with our families, with the government, with each other, and our church, and all those type things. And it's really amazing, this gift that we've been given to live in this country. And I know it's kind of popular now to tear it down, but this is the best country in the world. And I've been to a few others. 
I'd like to travel to a few more. But it's an amazing country, and the way they set things up for us as believers is, is really amazing. But uh, we can look at Hebrews 4.16 there that, that's in your sheet. Talking about separation. It says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So there is an idea of separation in the Christian life and in, in Baptist teaching. And we're going to look at, at three areas here. And the first one, because there was three institutions that God ordained, and one of them here we're going to look at is the home. It's the first one in Genesis 2, 21. And we'll read 21 through 24. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so there was the home ordained. Man and a woman joining together to create a new family, raise their own children, and that would repeat itself over and over again. So God did ordain the institution of the home. Number two, let's look at the institution of the church in Matthew 28. And we'll read verse 18 there. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, and will follow up. 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And 20, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. So there it is. All power was given to Jesus. Uh, Establish this church. And right there is what they're supposed to be doing, okay? Teaching all nations, baptizing, and basically creating converts to the gospel. So there's the second one. And last, let's look at the government in Romans 13. And we'll look at 1 through 7 there. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this is the cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. 
And render therefore to all their due, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And so he's talking about governments. And governments are established so that they can keep the peace and promote prosperity for their followers. Now we know that not all governments serve that. Uh, we know that there's some, some, some governments and they're there for the rulers only. They don't look after their people. Uh, they don't provide for them. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. What do you do when that happens? But let's flip over to Romans uh, 14 and we're going to look at this one here. So we, we've got the three institutions. The home, the church, and the government. And in Romans 14, it talks a little bit about this idea of soul liberty, which Roger Williams introduced and really made America begin to think about. And if we look at Romans 14, 7 through 12, you know, Brother Mark, these are his notes, and he put in here, like, you really need to understand the importance of individual soul liberty. And if, and if you look at a lot of denominations, um, Many of them don't make a big deal of this. This is really a Baptist distinctive, something that we honor. And Romans 14, 7 through 12 says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. We don't give account of ourselves to some type of religious leader that's in another country we've never seen, or a political leader. We will all view God ourselves one day and we'll answer for what we did with His Son. And that's the idea of this individual soul liberty that each and every person has the choice to accept you know, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what He did for us. And that's not between me and a government official. That's between me and God. So this idea of individual soul liberty is very important. It's what leads us to this this doctrine of separation of church and state. Now, Brother Mark put here, the state has no right to interfere with the local church. And uh, I, this, is, this would be a good time for a quiz. The first ten amendments to the Constitution, right? be a good idea for a quiz. Those are called the Bill of Rights. And they were afraid that government would get too powerful. So they wanted to make sure they had ten amendments that would protect the rights of each and every citizen. And the very first one... Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. They're not to create a church for themselves and make everybody do it the way they see, and they're not to interfere in the way we worship. That's the First Amendment. That's our rights. That was put in there. They didn't put it in 10th, not 9th, not even 5th. That went first, right in there. So there is supposed to be this separation. We've seen what happens when there's not a separation between the church and the state. It always turns into this power grab. It's happened over and over again. America was designed differently. Now there is two parts to this relationship there. We're going to look at Luke first. Luke 20, we'll flip over there.
We'll look at 2025. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things uh, which be God's. So basically, we are instructed to obey our government officials in civil matters. Now sometimes, I don't like some of those rules. I see roads all the time, Brother Chad, and I say, I could easily go 45 down this road. And it says 25 right there. Now, maybe that's for like a 15-year-old who's just learning how to drive, you know, but I think I could handle it. But I do try. I will say I try. I don't maybe get there every time, but I do try to obey that because I think, you know, somebody put a lot of thought into how many roads come in here and, and are there kids that live in this area? Is this a neighborhood? But, you know, in civil matters, we're supposed to follow our authorities. But there's a second part that we need to make sure we understand. In Acts 5, you know, what happens when our civil authorities go against the authority of God? What are we supposed to do then? So 529, it says, And then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. If we can obey our civil authorities and what they say is right, it's good, and it's here to protect us, and it's here to help us, we should always try to do that. But what happens when the mandates of man conflict with what the Bible tells us God says we should do? Acts 5 says it right there. If they ever conflict, we always go to what God said. So there's our, our first kind of form of separation and that is a, a separation between the state's power telling us how to, to worship God. That is a, it's guaranteed in the Constitution. I don't know. It seems to me like in some ways it's eroding in this country. But it's a guarantee there, and I'm glad we have it. It makes us special from a lot of other countries. But there's another form of separation Brother Mark wanted me to mention, and that was ecclesiastical or church separation. And he gave us the two verses here, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. It says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received us. And, of course, the follow-up verse there in Romans. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. So we have to sometimes do this in, in, in church life. At this time, you know, there was a lot of people coming about and they were teaching things that Jesus hadn't taught and you know they said you know who do we follow and what about these preachers and and he said look you know sometimes you have to separate yourself from a person that's teaching a, an untrue doctrine or something contrary to what Christ taught or in today you know what's con uh, against the Bible you may have to just separate yourself from those people so there's another form of separation um, that we as Baptists believe sometimes you have to separate yourself there and the last one is our personal lives and that's personal separation. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may provide what is that good, 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it's very interesting that, you know, we read the thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go and spread the gospel to every country, to every person, and teach. That's what we're supposed to do. But notice here, we are supposed to go to the world and, and spread that to them. But we can't let the world affect us. And that's hard to do sometimes, to go out into the world to share Christ with them. But we're not supposed to be changed by the world. We're supposed to be changed by Christ. And let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 6. And we had a little, um, uh, there's a little typo there. But let's look at 2 Corinthians 6. And it's supposed to be 14 through 17. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or usually that was referred to as Baal. And we all know about Baal in the Old Testament and, and child sacrifice and all the things that went along with that. Or what part um, hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You know, we have a commandment in our own personal life to try to remain separate from the world and not be overly influenced with those worldly things. And boy, that's hard. With the way that media is today and, and all these things we take in, that's very difficult. But that's one of the things we have to do. We have to be in the world so we can spread the gospel to others. But we have to stay separate from the world at the same time. And boy, that's tough sometimes to walk that line. But remember, our goal is always to stay close to God and to share God with others. It's not to just separate ourselves from others. You see a lot of cults. And they always want to separate themselves. They always want to take people and get them away from the ones they love. And get them away from newspapers and, and get them away from civilization so they can share with them what they want them to believe. But our goal is not to be like that. How are you going to reach the world if you separate yourself, you know, out some island somewhere? And the other day, uh, the boys asked me, they said, where does that saying, uh, drink the Kool-Aid, come from? So, you know, we had to talk about Jonestown. Some of you guys might remember Jonestown, right? In Guyana and and that's the largest mass suicide in American history and all these things. And we talked about how cults, they always want to separate. They went down in the middle of the jungle in South America so they get all these people away from anybody else's influence. But we're not, our goal is not to not be around people. You know, we should want to share Christ with them. And that is our, our goal there. And let's, uh, let's finish off with Exodus 33 on that thought. Fourteen through sixteen. Yeah, thirty-three, fourteen, sixteen. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight, 
Is it not in thou goest with us? So shall we bear, be separated and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. So God's people are to be a separated people, a called out people. And there's several degrees of separation there. Uh, the home, uh, excuse me, the institution's home, church and government, and how we need to govern ourselves in those things. And uh, I appreciate Brother Mark trusting me to try to go through some of that history and talk about some of the founding of this country and what makes our country special. And I know we're done a little bit early, but believe it or not, it's not my fault somebody finished the singing and, and stuff early. <laughs> but I want to I share something with you. If I think I take a drink of water, I think I can share one thing with you. Tell Braylon I took two drinks. And I'm hot. Is it okay? I think I got sunburned today. I was cutting down trees and whew, I got burned up. But that's, uh, I wanted to give you something that doesn't have to do with this lesson. But this happened to me uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was just thinking about it and the lesson I learned from it. And I was telling God, you know, if there's a way for me to share it, I'd love to share it with somebody because I think it could be encouraging. And wouldn't you know, Brother Mark pointed at me and told me not to leave. And he told me I got to come up here. And he told me I had till 7 o'clock. And we're done 15 minutes early and got just enough time for this story. So I think God wants me to tell it. I think it'll be encouragement to you. But some of you know we bought a little piece of property. God blessed us with a beautiful piece of property. Stony Creek, Chad. Up there near Stony Creek. Beautiful piece. But we've got uh, some trees we needed to get down. And I never thought I was going to be a logger. And I wished I wouldn't have become a logger some days. It's tough. But we've just been cutting those trees down. And, and we need some help sometimes. You can get a lot done faster if you got a lot of help. And uh, we've actually been asking uh, Recovery Soldiers Ministry. They need those guys to do some work. And I said, I've got work for them to do. And one day we went and picked a few of them up, and we went up there, and I'm going to tell you, it was hot. Now, i got a job where I stay in the air conditioner most of the time, Brother Tommy. But, boy, you go up there, and it's 90 degrees. We got up there, and uh, I don't know. We were working real hard probably about 830. I think they showed up. We got there a little bit before, and, and we worked till 4 o'clock, and it was 90 degrees. And there was no shade where we were working. It was so hot. I was sweating. It looked like I jumped in a swimming pool. And we was running that chainsaw. And I was breathing in that, uh, that chainsaw smoke, you know. And they was dust. I, I think I sucked one of them pieces of sawdust down in my throat. I got to coughing. Couldn't quit coughing. Looked up, and I, I didn't know what was going on, but my hat, I, I sweated all the way through my hat and through the bill, and the water was dripping out the end of the bill. So hot. And it was up on this hill, and I had these boots, and my foot slid up and down in those boots. My, the bottom of my foot was smooth as a piece of glass that night. And I got a good pair of boots, but they're getting kind of old, and they've got a tack, you know, where they attach the sole. And if you bend them just right, that tack comes up and stabs you in the foot. So that thing stabbed me in the foot, and I'm allergic to bees. These bees, I'm looking for all the bees, you know, and, and I almost dropped a tree on Brittany one day. I did drop one on a friend of mine. It was just the leaves, though, just the leaf part. It didn't hurt him bad. We helped him up. It was okay. But, you know, you got these trees falling, you're looking for this, and you're dirty, and you're hot, and you're sweaty, and, by, and I don't have any equipment. When that log needs to get out of the woods and down to the field, we just have to pick it up and drag it with a strap. And one day I had that strap around there, and I was dragging, and it started down that hill, and it started twisting that rope up. Well, I was just going to let it go. It got caught in my leather glove. It yanked me down that hill. I thought it was going to drag me under that log and kill me. But it hit a stump and stopped. And all it did was it tore my watch up and everything, but... But, man, it was a rough day. That was really hard. 
I know I'm going to cry. Just bear with me. I'm like Brother Mark. Hang around for a while. And uh, the boys, that they went home with Brittany because I had to take some of them back and I didn't have enough room. And so the boys, they had worked real hard. For a 13-year-old with, uh, you know, a, a broke hip and two messed up knees. Brogan worked so hard. Brayley worked hard. And they was getting ready to leave and they come up and they hugged me. I said, boys, thank you for working so hard today. I appreciate your help. And I hugged him real good. And Dad, he comes up. He supervises. He lets me know if I run the chainsaw wrong. or uh, He brings us lunch. Man, he brings us the best lunches, you know. And I told Dad, hey, Dad, thank you so much for running those guys back. I appreciate you bringing lunch. I love you. And I got in the truck. There's one of those guys in there with me. I thought I'd had the worst day ever up there. My head was split. I get dehydrated out in the sun. My head splits. It takes to the next day for that headache to go away. And we started down the road, and that guy said, you know, you got, you got two really nice boys. I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. They're pretty good. They got their moments, but they are. They're good boys. I appreciate that. And he got real quiet. He said, I wish I had what you had. You know, just two boys to hug. A dad that comes up and just sees what you're doing. And he had sunglasses on. And this tear come out from underneath his sunglasses. And he said, the guy I called dad, he taught me a, you know, he taught me a trade. He said he always kept food on the table. But he said he also taught me how to use drugs. He said he taught me how to sell drugs. He taught me how to steal from people. And he said, I went into a recovery program. And he said, I was there about four months. And I, I got tired of it, too hard. But I was off drug, been off drugs for four months. And I said, I'm, I'm going to go back home. I told the guy, I'm, I'm leaving early. He said, if you leave early, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. He said, you're going to go back home. You're going to hang out with your same friends. You're going to get back into the same scene you're in. You're going to get back on drugs. And he said, you got a wife. You got two kids. He said, it's going to affect your whole family. And he looked at me and he said, that's exactly what I did. He said, I got my wife hooked on drugs. He said, the state come and took my kids away because I wasn't taking care of them. And he said, now some stranger raises my daughter two, month, uh, two counties over. And he said, man, what I wouldn't give to hug my kids or tell my dad I loved him. Dad, it brought me lunch. And you know, I just thought, I felt so bad that I thought how bad this day was because I had a headache and my foot was sanded smooth like glass. and uh, You know, I was sweaty and I smelled like chainsaw oil and all that. And here was a guy that would give anything to be where I was. And I told him, I said, you know, you can get that back. You know, you, can, you need to work hard and, and get, get going in the direction you want to go. He said, well, I'm down here. And he said, my wife, she's in, she's in recovery too. She's trying to get over drugs as well. And uh, he's at RSM, and she's at the RSM Women's Center. And uh, he eventually accepted Jesus Christ. And his wife, a few weeks later, did too. And he got to have a hand in her baptism. And then I, they invited me up to service on Thursday night, and I got to know a few of those guys, and I said, I'll go by and, and go to the service with you on Thursday night. 
And man, I saw her get up. She was sitting away over here. And she went down. He got up and he went down. They held hands and they got down and they prayed. He came back and I, I just grabbed him and hugged him. I said, man, you're getting there. You're doing what you need to do to have those things that I have that I forget that I have. Because I'm too busy worrying about the bad things that are going on. And I know we all get that way. I get that way all the time. But there are some people that would give anything to have our worst day. You know, I just lost a friend last year, Josh Wondell. He'd give anything to be able to get up out of that chair and walk. Sometimes he would kid. He said, sometimes I just want to, like, pick a booger or something in my nose. You know, he said, he, said, I can't, he couldn't move a muscle in his body. And sometimes I get to feeling sorry for myself. You go down there and visit. Well, you wouldn't be feeling sorry for yourself when you left. But I just felt like maybe God wanted me to share that. That I know life gets hard and, and I know we all have to deal with some tough things sometimes. But there are people that would give anything to have our worst day. And I don't want to be unthankful. Uh, although I know I get that way sometimes. So anyway, I hope that encouraged you or made you cry or something. But um, I, I do appreciate you guys letting me speak to you tonight. I appreciate Brother Mark uh, letting me teach. I hadn't taught nobody in a month at school, and I was, I was really starting to miss it. So I appreciate you guys standing in until August starts. And I hope that story just, you know, just helps you a little bit, you know. Uh, just always remember the blessings that we do have. So anyway.